I'm Sunny. And I'm Brandy. And this is Bourbon Wine and True Crime, a show where three witty but sometimes indiscreet friends sit down once a week to drink virtually and discuss true crime. Hello, ladies. And hello, indiscreet is a good word. Well, hello there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. indiscreet yeah indiscreet. we are not it's we are not that we can be that's why i said sometimes occasionally when the we, occasion calls for it when the occasion calls for it yes absolutely well what do you what are you ladies drinking well since we are uh recording a double episode right now i have just had another poco loco of tequila and i still have my beautiful glass of Crystal you and wine. Poco Loco. I am a Poco Loco. And the bedazzled wine glass. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a, I'm all, as always off brand drinking my my vodka. 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 What are you drinking, Sunny? I am drinking Moon Haze, Blue Moon Hazy, Juicy Pale Ale. Uh, not because this is what I would like to be drinking, but it is because it is the only thing in my house. So. That's what's happening. You, you said juicy, and all I heard was that your IPA is thick. It's thick with three C's. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, baby, it's Ew. thick. <laughs> well, AJ, you're taking the lead on the case today. And I'm, I am. This I is have the, been... I, I, what, what were you going to say? Is this the one that you've been talking about for like two months? It's one of them, yes, that I have been just like percolating on for a actually for well I've been telling you guys about it for several months it's been in in my brain since I was in high school um so this is one of those cases that occurred very close to home home being El Paso Texas um I was 18 when this crime occurred and I remember it very well and it had always like stayed with me um so today we're going to be talking about a young lady who was born in El Paso, Texas, by the name of, her name was Carly Martinez. Um, And Carly Martinez, that was a case that my dad cut the newspaper clipping out when she disappeared and put it on my, I can't remember if you put it on my door or if you put it on my pillow. And I was a senior in high school. As like a cautionary tale? Like as a cautionary tale. That was definitely my dad's like modus operandi to, you know, scare us into, not behaving a certain way or not doing a certain thing or you know just trying to keep us safe this was so I was also in high school when a uh there was a a violent rash of women who went missing and turned up abducted and murdered and uh across the border in Juarez in Juarez Mexico and so he would do the same thing with those paper clippings like put them on my my door put them on my pillow like no don't don't do that don't go to Juarez and so you know like Sunny I know we have quite a little bit of an age difference but do you remember that like uh-huh. rash of yeah oh of course very of course. scary it was very scary and so and at that time I had a lot of friends that would cross the border on weekends to go drink in Juarez because it was perfectly acceptable to be 15 16 17 years old and go over there and they would serve you but my dad scared the shit out of me with these newspapers clippings and so I, well, I never it was scary went what was happening over there it was very scary so I, I never went over there um but at 18, when she went missing, it it struck a, a, a nerve in me that never actually like went away. And so this she is somebody who I've wanted to talk about for a long time. So I'm very, very thankful for this opportunity to discuss um, Carly Martinez. And so before we even begin with 
the case or the, what uh, brings her to the spotlight is this episode is, de is dedicated to Carly and then her loving memory of this beautiful young lady that she was and to her family who have uh, kept her name in the in the media and in the spotlight and so that nobody would forget what she went through and so I just want to shout out to Carly may she rest in peace and to her family for being such incredible people so you yeah. haven't even started yet and I already have like goosebumps so let's talk about Carly so Carly Martinez was born June 15th 1979 in El Paso Texas she was a Gemini uh, which is symbolized by twins, which Carly was. She had a twin oh. brother uh, who we'll, we'll get to in just a little bit, but she did have a twin brother. She graduated from Burgess High School in 1997. She played volleyball for the Mustangs and she loved playing that sport. She didn't know the word opponent. She just loved playing the game. Um, she's described as having a smile and gentle warmth about her that allowed all that knew her to enjoy their private world of sunshine when they were around her. Oh. She was active in many civic groups and organizations, and she viewed the positives in everything. From what I can still find, she is still survived by her father, Carlos, her mother, Rachel, sister, Roxanne, brother, David Joel, and her twin brother, Carlos Marcos. Sadly, Carly uh, passed away March 15, 1998. Um, at the time of her death, she was a student at NMSU where she was majoring in speech pathology. Um, in Las Cruces, New Mexico. She was in, she was very famous for her banana nut bread during the holidays. And her aunt is quoted oh, by saying, isn't she cute? She's just this adorable, just beautiful little baby girl. And she's just precious. Anybody that can manage to make banana nut bread, usually you just let the bananas go to overripe. And then you're like, you're going to be banana nut bread. And it never yeah. actually happens. <laughs> you're lying to your fruit. Well, she was no liar. She made very famous banana nut bread during the holidays. Her aunt is quoted by saying, and I love this, quote, she wasn't a saint, but she was good and quiet and reserved. This was her aunt, Ruth Pena. Hmm. At the time she was, uh, quote, this is a further of the quote, at the time she was naive and learning what it meant to be a woman. You mean live in fear? Yes, that's exactly, like when I was writing that, I was like, that's what it means. It's like, you have to be vigilant. You have to live in this like constant state of awareness and observation mm -hmm. and like alertness. Like there's no downtime to like, Oh, cool. Like I can just do whatever I want. I got so annoyed with Eduardo the other day. Cause there's two Viet. So on base, you can't have like offensive decals on your vehicle. And there's two that were spotted. That was like this very large, very like obviously offensive stickers on their on their vehicles and I was complaining to him about it and I'm like why would you do that like it's silly and he was like I wouldn't even and these stickers are on the hood of the cars same sticker two different vehicles it's a terrible word and I don't want to say it um he was like I wouldn't even notice that I was like you wouldn't notice a six inch tall two foot wide sticker on the hood he's like no I, I don't look at cars I'm like man, men exist in a world of just obliviousness because they don't have to live in our world where it's, no. is somebody following no. me? Are they following too closely? Are they just walking mm -hmm. to their car? Are they paying too much attention to me? Like mm -hmm. this sphere that we, you know, as, as women have to live in where we have to be so on guard because the worst that could happen to us is such a real possibility every day. Mm -hmm. It's, 
Yeah. Every day for us. Um, and, we, I, and I'll say this, like I'm speaking that truth for, as from a position of a very privileged white woman, you know, mm-hmm. that's not, I'm not even, I can't even speak to that of those, of those position of somebody who is marginalized and targeted and, you know, it's, it's just, it's infuriating. I, uh, I found out the other day, I was listening to a podcast, um, about probably true crime and black trans women are 70% more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than like cisgendered women or mm-hmm. white women. And I was like, 70%. Well, keep that statistic in your mind for me. Okay? Yeah. We might circle back to that. Okay. Okay. So Carly's aunt, who was Ruth Pena, she had started writing a manuscript about Carly. And I bring this up because I couldn't find a whole lot about Carly's growing up years. I wanted to know more about her and know who she was. And it was really difficult to find that kind of like heart and soul that was Carly. Um, But I did eventually find this one newspaper clipping from 2008 where her aunt is speaking about her and she was writing a manuscript about Carly um, that was entitled Novena, um, written by Ruth Pena. And it's unclear if the book ever made it to publish because the book was supposed to talk about Carly's life and her her early years and the prayers that they had had for Carly. Um, but I could not find the book to save my, to save my life. And Ruth passed away in 2017, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but it sounds like her and her aunt were very, very close. And the, one of the last times that Carly and Ru- her aunt Ruth spoke was um, Ruth said to Carly, promise me that you'll stop looking for a job and concentrate on your studies. And uh, Carly said, yes, okay, I promise. I'll stop concentrating on that. I'll concentrate on my studies if you finish your manuscript. So Carly really wanted her to finish this book. And then after Carly's death, Ruth you know, made a vow to write about Carly. And then I can't find if it was published. I, I really hope it was, and I'm just not digging deep enough, but I'm trying to find it. Um. After Carly passed away, her mother and father started a run walk to honor their daughter and keep her memory alive, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but I just want to bring that up because her memory is still very much spoken about. So to get into the actual crime. So Carly was last seen on January 14th, 1998, entering her dorm at NMSU, New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. She was being dropped off by her father and she was with her roommate at the time. They were So her and her roommate were together and they were dropped off at their dorm around 6.30 p.m. after purchasing textbooks for the new spring semester. She turned around from her, her door and said, I love you, dad. And that was the last time she was seen alive by her family. Carly would be reported uh, missing the next day. Um, she was her parents immediately appealed to the media, which is in stark contrast at the time, like 1998 police would be um, telling like friends or family to like, don't talk to the media. We don't want to scare sus- suspects away. Like we yeah. need you to, to not say anything, but they were like, oh no, I don't think so. So they immediately went to the media. They immediately went to the newspapers, started printing flyers and posting them all around NMSU. They were incredibly ahead of their time. Very, because very families so. do that yeah. now if there's not enough um 
the the Vanessa Guillen story mm-hmm. I think that would have been swept under the rug but her family hit the media and social media hard and that's what brought some kind of action to yes her disappearance and in this day so they reported her missing the next day and with six days within six days they had like flyers everywhere in the media in the newspaper they were just yelling as loud as they could for anybody to hear them Okay, so Carly did not have a driver's license. She did not use credit cards and she did not use ATMs. And so this was making it very difficult to track her. Um, I did find a uh, true crime documentary about her case um, and I did watch it. It was really good and you can find it on Tubi. It's called, it's from the series, The New Detectives and it's in season nine, episode two called Blind Trust. So from here forward, that's where a lot of this information is gonna come from is from that episode. Um, It's also going to come from El Paso Times, uh, the local El Paso newspaper, as well as the Albuquerque newspaper. So here we go. So January 1998, 911 received a call about a missing student from NMSU, Carly Martinez, who was about to start her second semester. On January 15th, a report was filed. Family and friends immediately started posting flyers around campus in hopes that new information would be reported. Officers combed surrounding areas. Four days passed before they got the first break in the case. Samuel Sanchez saw the flyers and contacted police. He said that he had seen Carly with a man named Jesse Avalos, who was one of his co-workers at an off-campus bookstore. Remember, she'd been buying textbooks. Mm-hmm. He said he saw them um, together that night at a local skate roller rink, skating together and holding hands on January 14th. And that they were later joined by a man named Jason Desnoyers, one of Jesse Avalos's friends. Carly reportedly was somewhat familiar with Jesse. They knew each other in a, uh, they knew each other by a site from Campus Library where they would go to they would both go to the library and get online. So she knew him visually, and then she met, saw him at the bookstore. Jesse had asked Carly out several times, even joking with her that he wasn't an axe murderer. She was eventually persuaded to go out with him on January 14th. It's okay. Go out with me. I'm no ex-murderer. I mean, so, <laughs> so funny. So many women are killed by serial killers. <laughs> me thinks thou protest too much. Mm. Okay. Samuel said that the roller rink closed early that evening and he saw both men leave with Carly. Campus police were the first to speak to Jesse Avalos. Jesse started off as a willing, helpful person to the police. He said he had dropped Carly off at a nearby gas station because she stated that she needed to use a payphone. The detective, uh, David Cortez, I believe was his name, found the story odd because why would she need to use a payphone when she had a phone in her dorm room? Detectives now wanted to speak to friend Jason Desnoyers. Jesse, Jason's story, it's a lot of J's. Jason's story started out much like Jesse's, that he met up with the pair at the roller rink, but that um, that's where his story became different than Jesse's. He said that they took her back to the school and dropped her off in front of her dorm room. He, the detective felt like something wasn't right because of the differences in their stories. Police asked to search Jason's truck, hoping to find any evidence. They noticed scratches inside going from one door to the other. However, the inside was also very clean, as if it had just been recently, like, deep cleaned. Police collected fibers and checked for blood and any any other bodily fluids. 
the center of the seat in the front glowed under luminol. So this is very high tech for 1999 mm-hmm. or 1998. I'm sorry, 1998. Uh, when examined more closely, a large stain was found and samples were st- sent to the lab for testing. So the police cut the center section of the truck, took out the foam, took out the fibers and sent that to the lab. At the like the surface level, there was no stains, but when they turned it over, it was like dark and brown and like very clearly stained with some fluid. Mm-hmm. So again, keep in mind this is 1998, so we're we're not yet there with like DNA advancements that we have now. So all they could really do was test it for human blood at the time. So the positive results came back that in fact there was human blood, but the recent cleaning had destroyed the DNA evidence, so it had denatured all of the DNA samples. Authorities hoped the media coverage would bring more atten- information. So it, now at this time, the, the police are like encouraging more media attention. So this is good. So they're going back to Jesse Avalos and investigators interviewed his neighbor. And the neighbor who, I, if, I, if I understood it correctly, the neighbor at the time was already in custody for another crime. And so he was easily accessible. Um, and the neighbor said that he had been approached by Jason Desnoyers and asked him to do a favor that if he could hide a jacket. So he asked the neighbor to hide the jacket and he did hide it. Then he hid it in some rolled up carpet behind the apartment building that they lived in. So the police go back, they searched the area and found the carpet with a military style jacket rolled up into it. The jacket had suspicious staining on it and it was bagged and sent in for testing. Police searched the apartment of Avalos, uh, Jesse Avalos, and found blood evidence. The shower curtain had blood stains, and there was one long, dark hair that was retrieved from Jesse's bed. So just to give kind of a descriptor of Carly, she had long, dark, beautiful hair. She had big eyes. She wore eyeglasses. She had a beautiful, bright smile. Just She was a very attractive young lady, um, just beautiful. Uh, at this time, they asked Carly's family to come in and provide any DNA samples from Carly that they could have. And so they brought in what I could tell was a hairbrush to take hair samples uh, to possibly get a DNA profile from Carly. Mm-hmm. Um, DNA, uh, samples of Avalos's clothing were also taken. There was a warrant that was granted for, uh, there was a warrant that was granted to get DNA samples from both subjects, Jesse and Jason. Detective David Cortez noticed a large cut on Jason's right hand that was scabbing over and it had been very, it looked like it had been a very recent um, injury. So the detectives bring both of them in. He notices that on Jason, but Jason at this time is now a, 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 a retained an attorney. And the attorney at this point, like stops the detectives and is like, you're not allowed to take pictures of my client. So was he, it AJ, do you know if the cut, like where the cut was on his hand, on the back or the front? It was like on the front, like right here, like with the pinky, hmm. like this right here. Yeah. Um, so the attorney would not allow any picture. So unfortunately that evidence wasn't necessarily collected, but the observation was made and notated. So that's good. Okay. Um, bah, bah, bah. So all of the samples for both men were sent in for testing. The jacket did indeed test positive for human blood, and the shower curtain also tested positive results for human blood. The blood on the items came back for three separate individuals. 
um, which would be highly unusual if you were taking, you know, a shower curtain or clothing samples from one person and there's three DNA profiles coming back. My eyebrows are up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so once those profiles were compared to both the suspects and the victim, it, it indeed matched all three to the suspects and positive for the victim. Why wouldn't you, I mean, I love a stupid criminal because they get caught. Right. Why would you get rid of it? Like if I, if I'd killed somebody for whatever reason, I'm burning my clothes, my shoes, the shower curtain, the carpet, the house I'm taking every, and they just like, Hey, just hide this. I'll click. And I understand in 1998, the information about like the information about evidence left behind and the technology was less advanced. So maybe they didn't know, but it, when you were talking about the jacket age, it was so weird to me that he was like, oh, just hide this. Like, why wouldn't you yeah. get rid of it? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. So why, why? I, well, okay. One, boys are dumb. <laughs> okay. Man. And that's uh, how- these two Nimrods are in their early twenties. So still dumb. And I think that what I've learned throughout the thousands of hours of true crime documentaries, podcasts, radio shows, et cetera, that I've learned is that DNA is always left behind. You mm-hmm. Evidence will always be there. No matter how hard you try, no matter how smart you think you are, no matter how much you think you clean up, there is always oh. evidence. It's just, what's crazy though, is like, it, it was just such a game changer, just the way DNA, it was, there could just be blood everywhere. And they're like, hmm, weird. And like nothing, <laughs> they didn't do anything with it. Yeah. They're just like, like, <laughs> well, then, then the pendulum swung the other way. There was like, oh, we have this DNA evidence, and it's in, it's conclusive, DNA. and this is yeah. the smoking gun, mm-hmm. and this is it. And so we have a lot of people on death row or who have been executed because of DNA evidence that, that was then was inaccurate. not valid. It was yeah. inaccurate because of transfer DNA or transfer DNA evidence or touch DNA evidence that you went to the supermarket and you asked a question to the 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 cashier and that cashier's DNA is now on you and you turn mm-hmm. it dead. And all of a sudden now the cashier is on death row, you know? So there's that pen, that extreme. And then you have the other extreme where it's like, this is the person and juries and judges are like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Like literal eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. which like eyewitness statements yeah, it's- are infallible. But DNA, but- like if you've got the DNA, like there's nail scrapings and there's like semen and there's like, brain spatter and like there's well, all this stuff and the jury's like i don't think that's enough i'm thinking of a very particular rape case right now um brock turner i lost the name because so i'm gonna say his name because he's a fucking garbage ass human where literal witnesses saw him raping that girl and detained him and they were just like yeah that's that's bad um we just don't want it to affect his life too much i'm like was he a swimmer just- yes Oh, yep. So after these DNA matches were all tested positive to both suspects and the victim, now police had what they needed to get Jason to Snoyers, at least. They already know where Jesse Avalos is, but they have to contact now Jason to Snoyers. They contact his lawyers, they contact his friends, they contact his family, but he was nowhere to be found. He has bounced. He is no longer in the area. Not His lawyer is like, you know say uh so now they only have one suspect to really manipulate so they go to jesse avalos 
asking for his help in the case. And so they're trying to appeal to his humanity a little bit at this point. They don't want to like show them their hand and saying like, this is the evidence we have. They're like, hey, so like Jason skipped out and we really need your help, right? Like be the hero, like, like come he and help us. He doesn't know that he's implicated yet? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. So Cortez, Detective Cortez's, uh, his tactic works and out of the blue jesse says that they should go for a ride so they get in the car uh, he and cortez and jesse takes them to this isolated desert around las cruces where both of you have been to this area you know it's a very isolated very desolate there's a whole lot of nothing out there there's a whole lot of nothing whole lot of animals whole lot of scavengers a lot of weather and environmental factors it's if you wanted to get rid of something like this is a good place to do it So he took the detective out to this isolated spot around Las Cruces and he takes him to a very specific point where he says Jason DeSnoyers took items to burn. And sure enough, they find this burn spot and there were parts of clothing like zippers, uh, buttons, there was a pair of glasses and a stick of lipstick were found. And one item that was in particular were these uh, set of keys that didn't burn because as we know that you know you have to achieve a certain level of heat to burn all things and there was this set of keys that didn't burn and they did in fact belong to Carly's dorm room number. So Jesse told Detective Cortez that Jason had killed Carly and then burned the items to destroy the evidence. And this is the first so he's just like they're like hey do the right thing. He's like you're right he killed her just off rip with everything. Obviously, I had nothing to do with it. I just yep. rode out to the desert with him to burn. I'm sorry. You guys are two of my best friends. If you were like, we're going to go burn some shit. I'm like, I have questions. Is yep. this is this ex-boyfriend's things? Is this ex-husband? What are we doing out here? Right. Do I need to stop asking questions so I don't have to lie under oath later on? What are we right. doing? Right. He's just, oh. Oh, it's right here. It's right here. Right here what yeah this this piece of shit he thought he was smarter yep because he's okay i'm sorry i'll let you talk so this is the first time that they get jesse in front of cops making a connection to the kidnapping and murder of carly also in connection with jason Mm -hmm. so detectives then called carly's family to identify the items so carly's mother and father rachel and uh carlos confirmed that the keys and the other items were indeed Carly's. I do believe that they did find some jewelry in addition to the keys and lipstick and glasses. Um, and so that, that jewelry in particular was very identifiable. So she went missing January 14th that night and was reported missing January 15th. Um, Jason has disappeared. They've got J- Jesse kind of like in their, in their hairs. And on March 17th, 1998, in the early morning hours, Detective Cortez got a phone call that Jason DeSnoyers had been located outside of San Diego, California. And just really by luck, because this is really pre-internet and pre-social media and all of the networks talking to each other, there was a local police officer in San Diego that had seen a photo of Jason DeSnoyers as uh, a wanted person and had recognized him. So he gets immediately that morning just surrounded by police and was arrested and transported back to Las Cruces. 
who was formally booked for the murder of Carly. They then arrested Jesse Avalos for tampering with evidence. And at the time, they did not have a body, but police were still very confident they could get a conviction despite the lack of, you know, the, uh, the body of Carly. Mm-hmm. So at this point, they've got both men arrested and they begin to pit them against each other. So uh, Detective Cortez goes in and talks to Jesse um, and says, hey, you know, like Jason is, and he's singing like a bird over there. He's, he's telling us that you did it. And so Jesse is like, oh no, like I didn't do it. He did it. And I can take you directly to her body. This is the friend. This is the initial guy, Jace, Jesse okay. Avalos. This mm-hmm. is the main dude uh, that said, uh, I'm not an axe murderer. Dick. Yeah. So he took police to several areas um, where the, he said that the body could be found, but nothing was found. After, so the police used this other tactic while Jesse was out in the desert, like pointing police in different directions. They drove up Jason in another car so that they could, the two could see each other like, oh, well, you're cooperating and you're cooperating. So at this point, Jason, Jason flips and is like, oh, I can tell you where Jesse killed her and Jesse put the body. So now Jason is claiming the same thing that it was no, it was Jesse that killed her. It was Jesse that dumped the body. It was all, and I can show you where. Mm-hmm. So now they go on the same circus. Like Jesse takes them out, or not Jesse, I'm sorry, Jason takes them out, she takes them several places, and again, nothing is found. So the original burn site where the majority of the evidence was found, that's kind of where they're concentrating their radius um, search of, like starting from there and like moving outward. Hundreds of people came out in support, like to, sh- to look for Carly and to find to find her. And again, being low, native to El Paso, you, you see people like riding horseback on the side of the road all the time, or especially where I live. And it's like, it's very normal. And so a lot of these uh, civilians that came out to help were, were horseback riders and they could be in the desert, they could be out there. And in fact, it was one of the civilian searchers um, that was on horseback located uh, the remains that was very near the bird site. Detectives came immediately, um, went to the scene and confirmed that it was the body, um, I'm sorry, that it was the burned body of a young woman. So she had been burned. So after 67 days, Carly was finally found. Her poor family. She was badly decomposed after being exposed to the desert environment for over two months. There was evidence around her body that showed that she had indeed tried to escape at the time. Her body was taken to Albuquerque for an autopsy and dental records confirmed that she was indeed Carly Martinez. An initial assessment of the body showed that she had been sexually assaulted and stabbed 27 times in multiple areas of injury, including blunt force trauma to the head. A tiny piece of metal was found embedded in the skull, particularly her cheek through x-rays. And this indicated that there was, uh, that this found, they found evidence that there was another weapon used. So the speculation was that the second weapon was a pair of needle nose pliers, indicating that two people had attacked Carly and that, or, okay, so that it was either indicating that two people had attacked Carly, one with a a single-edged knife and the other person had attacked her with another sharp object, Mm -hmm. or that one person had attacked her, first attacking her with a single-edged knife 
put that knife down, picked up another sharp object, and proceeded to attack her, which was highly unlikely. So yeah, I was going to say. Likely way that the evidence uh is leaning is that there are two separate weapons indicating two separate assailants Mm -hmm. so now the crime scene is starting to come together so the detectives constructed the rest of the evening of the kidnapping and murder jesse and jason after going to the roller skating rink um, i saw a couple of conflicting reports that either a they had gone directly out into the desert to continue the evening or b they had gone to several night spots and continued drinking and then got out into the desert i don't know which one to rely the most heavily on because i think that in actuality she was probably immediately taken to the desert i was gonna say she was what 18 she was 18 where's she going to drink right i I mean mean, they were were rolling I mean, at that time, it was pretty easy to find somewhere. True, but there, what I, the only argument I have against that is that I could not find any other evidence of any other witnesses say that, yeah, these three individuals had been in this spot and mm-hmm. these three individuals had been in this other spot, like times and locations, like there was no other mention of witnesses or solid, like evidence that those three had been seen in other night spots Mm -hmm. there was just like a a a brief like whisper in one of the news articles um yeah so it is i'm speculating but i feel like they took her immediately to the desert because she was 18 and because she was naive and trusting and like hey let's go out and we can continue to drink out here and so if you're familiar with the area they took her to a place the the locals and people called the mesa so desolate desert nothing out there just go out to drink and party so in carly it's the report is that she kind of sat between them like on the um the tailgate of the truck kind of in between them they and they were hitting on her and trying to get her to put out and that's not my words those, those are their words um and when she wouldn't consent they continued to give her more alcohol and she continued to say no um they were as she was saying no they then raped her and as they were raping her were like well we can't leave her as a witness so they decided to murder her leaving her body out in the desert hoping that that evidence and that she would just disappear i always find it so hard to believe like whenever you hear stories like this where they two people raped somebody and then they immediately decided to kill her and like you did this before mm-hmm. maybe not to I, the yes. extent of murder but you've you've done you something this yeah i agree completely i agree completely and i i was telling pedro earlier that like i cannot find any other reports of assault on these two but i just feel like there had to have been something out there but i mean think about it if maybe they didn't murder somebody before but right this was not their first rodeo no because pardon the pardon my pun but now we're understanding it's starting to hit the news more about the rape culture that exists in colleges and it's Mm -hmm. been there well before it's been identified and it's still there oh 100 i just I feel like they had like together individually, they'd assaulted other women before Mm -hmm. and just, they have, 
I mean, for her, for Jesse to take Carly to a roller rink and then Jason just to appear like, hey, I didn't know you were going to be here. What's going on? You know, these two had... They're, they were in cahoots. They had mm-hmm. a, an MO. They were in cahoots. They have done this before. And they either plied a woman with enough alcohol that she was not in her full faculties or they had done it so violently that she was afraid. I don't mm-hmm. know, but it was... I agree with you completely. Like this could not have been the, their first offense by any stretch. So during the trial, it was revealed that Carly had been stabbed more than 30 times during the struggle for her life, both with a knife and another instrument to be believed to be a pair of needle nose pliers. This is in the desert where she was killed. Yes. They just had, had these with them totally unplanned in the truck. So again, it, for me to piece it together, it sounds like the they went to the roller rink, then they took her to the desert. Mm-hmm. She refused, she refused, she refused. They forced, they forced, they forced, they raped her, they murdered her. They went back to Jesse's apartment, showered, both of them. So there was blood on the shower curtains. Mm-hmm. There was blood evidence in the apartment, but it wasn't evidence of that the crime was there. And that the, the like their clothing had been there. But Carly, and it, like, so there, that one hair was from Jason's transferring that evidence to his bed. But she was th- killed and raped in the desert. That's how I piece it together. I, I think I'm, I'm speculating, but I think I'm yeah. pretty close. So investigators now had to prove that both Avalos and Desnoyers were responsible, just not just one over the other, but both. So at trials, at trial, both suspects continue to try to blame each other and offer almost mirror images of the uh, each other's defense. Each man said that they thought Carly had been interested in the other, so claimed that they had backed off. She was totally interested in my friend, so I went back to the truck. Oh no, dude, she was totally interested in you, so I went back to the truck. So, victim blaming. Let's victim blame. D- <laughs> what so they're saying that the other one killed this girl while they're in the desert in a truck if you have never been in the desert or been in the the woods are loud like even out in the middle of nowhere the woods are loud the desert is silent Silent. you can hear everything. everything if we have any vets listening that deployed how if you're on like a fob or a base in the middle of nowhere and you can hear you can hear vehicles coming from my, I, if they're trying to say that their friend killed Carly and they didn't know about it, there is no fucking way you would hear somebody walking off. So it was reported that during Jason's trial, Jason Desnoyers, that he was in fact a very heavy sleeper and that he just thought, you know, Jesse and Carly were getting friendly and he was, he had had a lot to drink. So he went to sleep in the truck and he was a very heavy sleeper. It was also uh, a witness on the stand had said that Jason was such a sweet guy and was, would never hurt anybody. And hmm. I just threw up in my mouth. Hmm. He's such a nice guy. Aren't they all? Aren't they all? They would never. But they, they both never. had the same story. So like not, Jason was like, no, dude, I fell asleep. And Jesse Avalos was like, no, man, like I thought you were getting close with her. So I went in the truck and fell asleep. 
well, not, not, well, well, you both fell asleep. So Jesse Avalos during trial says that he went to sleep and awoke to find Desnoyers had murdered Carly, while Desnoyers had said the same thing about Avalos. Meanwhile, a witness testified in court that Avalos had joked about Carly in the weeks after she had vanished, saying after he heard someone scream that, uh, hold on, saying after he heard someone scream that Carly had screamed just like that. So he hears someone scream and is like, oh, Carly screams just like that, suggesting that he could make someone go missing, quote, just like Carly. They Another witness. Super apologetic. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, we'll get to the apologies. Another witness um, had incriminating evidence about Desnoyers reporting that he had confessed to getting Carly drunk, but that she would, quote, put out. Ultimately, DNA on a fingernail at the bottom of the fingernail of Carly would be positively matched to Jason Desnoyers, confirming he had indeed attacked her, attacked her despite his consistent pleas of innocence, saying that he had been asleep while Jesse had raped and murdered Carly. If I roll my eyes any harder, my retinas will detach. Mm -hmm. So there was an initial mistrial due to intense media coverage and a jury found Jason. They, so there was a deadlock on Jason's trial and then it had to be moved to Albuquerque because of the intense media scrutiny. Um, Jesse went to a separate trial, but both men were eventually found guilty and convicted of first degree felony murder three counts of tampering with evidence and three counts to conspiring to tampering with evidence and single counts of kidnapping, rape, kidnapping and rape. While Jesse Desnoyers was convicted of murder, rape, kidnapping, and 10 other counts against him. It was surmised that the two men had taken Carly out into the desert with the intention of having sex with her, but then raped her when she refused. Knowing she would report them for what they had done, they murdered her and disposed of her body in a remote location in an attempt to get away with their crime. I tried to find any updated information about Jesse or Jason. What I could find is that Jesse had a brother named Adam Avalos who was stabbed to death in prison while serving a sentence for an, uh, a, a myriad of charges. Um, and I could not find any updated information on Jason Desnoyers, whether he is alive or uh, in still in prison or if he had uh, died somehow. Um, so shortly after uh, Carly's disappearance and murder, NMSU has NMSU began giving a scholarship in honor of Carly. Um, and I could not find if that scholarship program is still around, but I do believe that that was a very valiant effort in uh, NMSU. Carly Martinez's family keeps her memory alive by organizing organizing a fundraiser for victims of sexual assault with an organ organ organization why do i have such a hard time with words like that it's, with an, words are hard organization called stars and i don't remember what the acronym stands for but it is in a local organization in el paso texas that counsels and supports victims of sexual assault so just to shout out carly's father carlos martinez um, he remembers a day when sexual sexual assault was a very hushed up subject it was often seen as what a woman was wearing or that she was asking for it and now he has a very passionate message against sexual assault after his daughter was a victim of that. So now they have um, a run, walk, annual fundraiser in honor of 
Carly Martinez um, that raises thousands of dollars every year. And the last that I could find was pre-pandemic. The last year that the run walk was held was in 2018. But um, if anybody out there can hear me and knows if there's one coming up for 2022, uh, I would love to be a part of that um, and just honor Carly. And to quote her father, we can remember Carly by being supportive of the victims of sexual assault to help them, to support them, and be a positive force in, the, positive force in their lives, he added. So kudos to you, Carlos Martinez, and rest in peace, Carly. We love you very much. It's so, to me, it's so, I mean, a lot of these crimes we talk about are so senseless, but like, they probably wouldn't have gotten trouble if we're looking at rape culture in colleges that has been prevalent yeah. for many years and they'd been like she's like hey like I got raped by these two dudes I I hope that we're changing now but I think in night in the 90s they would have been like yeah but like you were drunk yeah well as we know in the 2000s it also was the same and yeah. that it continues to so and I That's, know that this was a hard topic and a hard case, but it's an important one. It's a very important one. And Carly, Carly, you're not forgotten. I hope those two rot. I hope they're still alive. I do too. I truly do because I hope that they're rotting in jail. So yeah well thank that's you, my case AJ. thanks aj i we wish i could you. hug you right now i know bring it in she's a. I see um just to kind of wrap this up i see the seniors graduating and i see how innocent and young they are and i think of i've thought of that you know just You just want to protect them all as best you can. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because we act the way that we act because of the trauma that we've experienced. And yes. you want to you want to give people that same kind of guardedness, but you don't want them to be, I guess, as paranoid as we are with yeah. the myriad mm -hmm. of things that we you don't want them with. to be worrying. We want to yeah. protect them and we don't want them to worry. Right. So it's, how do you do that? Like, how do you protect them without being like, you tell these, you tell, you tell the stories, you, you have to change the, the society. Like you, that's where it happens. We have to change. And that's, I felt like Carly has been speaking to me for many, many years, my since I was 18. And I feel like her, her story needed to be told. Her voice still needs to be heard. Her name still needs to be out there. It, it still needs to be a story that we don't forget and that we don't keep alive. So Carly, this is for you and we love you very much. Cheers. 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 Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Yes. Thank you, everyone. You Thanks can for this story, AJ. Yes, follow, you can follow us. <laughs> places <laughs> follow us all the places all the places <laughs> please don't follow me i'm paranoid oh, yeah. <laughs> actually after this don't want to no no thanks no, 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 no. follow me. 
we're no actually anon- we're anonymous uh, yeah. you can follow us on instagram we're on facebook um we're not on twitter because reasons so uh bourbon wine and true crime on instagram and facebook bourbon wine and true crime at yahoo.com um please, please like and subscribe leave us a positive review give us Thank some you. case suggestions you can mm-hmm. tell me how dope my cat ears are they're so dope they're so dope but until next time love you